Hello. How's it going, Michelle? How's it going in Terrebane? Hi. It's going pretty well. Yeah. What have you been up to lately? Um, let's see. It's kind of ramping up for summertime where I'm living, warmer mm-hmm. weather, longer days. I'm quite involved with some community service stuff with, um, you know, environmental work with planting trees in my community, doing community trash litter, pickup stuff, beautifying the space, um, making things look a little bit nicer and more enjoyable to hang outside in. Um, I was telling Stephanie before we recorded Terrabang that I'm in the midst of rehearsing for an upcoming dance showcase nice um, uh, just trying to kind of describing her the different the two pieces that I'm in and I think um one thing that I did differently this time is uh so far since living in the current city I've been in which has been almost a few years now I have not been inviting any friends of mine uh to attend on purpose because people always ask I'd love to see you I'd love to see you dance because I talk about it they know I do a lot of it uh, or oftentimes they'll have like a, they do a live stream as well. So even friends who live far away, um, we're like, oh, like send us the link. And I haven't, because I've kind of enjoyed this short chapter of performing for an audience who I don't know anyone who's there. I mean, maybe I happen to know someone, but I, I go in not knowing. And so it's just nice just to focus on this anonymous audience. Kind of like how we talked to you in Terrabang, like you are this faceless, you have a face, but like you are this being of some kind. Uh, whereas if I do invite people who I know, I definitely like look and, and, and really focus and hone in on them and try to be fun and, you know, play it up and give them a bit more attention, um, which they, they always seem to like. I'm like, oh, you saw me. I didn't know you could see me. I, I just have this like weird, you know, with the house lights on, I'm able to find people like right away who I know. Mm. I, and it's very interesting my vision is not that great but for whatever reason I can see through the house lights and find people in the dark audience so I'll just tell Stephanie so this time I'm gonna be a little bit different I'm inviting a few friends who I know to come see me and they're excited and um if there is a recording link I might I don't know if there is or not but I might be sharing that with people so yeah things like awesome. that cool. of that nature how about yourself Stephanie um uh, what have I been doing lately how's it been going it's been going all right. I think I think with the change in weather, like you said, the the presence of like the sun, the blue bluer skies, um, mood is definitely improving. Good. Immersing myself into more and more crafty projects. So that's always quite a few rabbit holes. I'm in the middle of knitting like three different projects at once. <laughs> um, two are by the same designer. And so originally it was like this one that the setting designer had made but she hadn't sent out the kits yet so while I was waiting for the kits to arrive I started on like a sweater by her but mm-hmm. I also had to wait for half of the yarn to arrive even though I had half at hand uh so while I was waiting for that to arrive mm-hmm. I started on a pair of socks I still only have a cuff of a sock <laughs> <laughs> so um not significant progress there but uh, it's kind of fun to kind of bounce back and forth between all these projects and, you know, involving yeah. different colors, different textures of yarn and kind of see each of them kind of bloom. It's, it's quite nice to feel engaged in that respect. And um, yeah, it's, it's fun to like experiment around, I think. Mm, I like that. I just want to circle back on one thing. Maybe as the last episode of the episode before, you're talking about your 
hikes in nature at a few mm-hmm. places around you and how you oftentimes like don't get like lost lost um but you have trouble maybe getting back in time before it gets dark and you're yes. wandering around th- wandering around with your phone flashlight and stuff yes. even though you have a headlamp so i didn't know if you can do that practice or if you have actually remembered to bring your headlamp i'll um, be honest i've been very lazy and due okay. to work obligations i haven't been able to walk out mm. as much okay so the timing that i have a sunset or until sunset is even more limited unfortunately mm-hmm. um but also i've been feeling a bit lazier so <laughs> even if i do get out early um i'm not sure i would go walking all that distance maybe when like on a weekend you know where i have more true time yeah, you more know time. yeah um they, they are quite refreshing but as summer approaches as we mentioned you know other people start getting the same idea i kind of like it when the woods are all to myself and it's oh, like okay. nice and like the briskness kind of keeps other people away but maybe I just have some crazy blood in me <laughs> and I don't mind um you know as long as you layer up properly you know don't mind taking those hikes but in the warmer weather everyone seems to emerge out of the woodwork and it becomes a little bit too populated and I prefer not to make eye contact if I don't have to or say hi not that I'm antisocial. I guess I am something antisocial. But just in that in that kind of set in that type of activity, you prefer to just yeah, like the, be there's alone. a time and a place. If yeah. I want to go to the grocery yeah. store, you know, I'll say hi to people. I'm not going to be rude, but you know, if I want to be in my own zone in the middle of the woods, I'd rather not run into people. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So. Both of us have been talking about like all these different activities that we're doing and sure. whatnot. And I'll, I will disclose just for myself, like I have over the past few weeks and more this past week, um, been trying to think about the absence of stimuli. Cause I do notice myself sometimes like I will always be listening to music or um, a video on YouTube or a news article or something like, even if I'm just like doing the dishes or something, there's always this, or like, you know, listening to the songs I'm going to be doing the dance performance or something. And I've been catching myself in like, wait, why can't I just like not have to be listening to anything right now in this moment? And that kind of has led me more into thinking about the concept of boredom because that's also been in my noggin because lately I've noticed when I go lie down to sleep, um, you know, sometimes I have, I get a little, I, I get like not anxiety, but my, you know, the mind racing stuff. And it's hard for me to f- go to sleep, even though I know I'm tired, but right when I go horizontal, it's like <laughs> of, all uh, these thoughts, thoughts and worries and panicky stuff or whatever. And so then I'll like read a book or sometimes I just like listen to like a meditation video tape. I don't watch it, but like listen to something and then I'll like, tri- you know, then I'll go off Drift to sleep. Off. Drift off. Yeah. yeah. And so I've been thinking more about boredom and also just like sensory deprivation and so i have a few quotes from different philosophers as researching the idea of boredom because i think that was a concept i haven't visited in a while personally <laughs> um, and also just been in because sometimes i don't often say i'm bored because i never feel like i'm bored like i remember if i was in class and whether it was the t- instructor or the material was not interesting to me i would feel maybe have a little moment of boredom, but then my mind would just, once it 
declared that this is boring, I would immediately just start like, you know, daydreaming and thinking about stuff that would interest me. So maybe I wasn't focusing on what I was supposed to be focusing, like the class lecture, but my mind would just like go off and substitute something that would interest me, like having some weird mind experiment or something. So then I would never really be bored in that sense. So whenever everyone asked me, aren't you, don't you ever get bored? I'm like, no, because my mind's always just turn. If it needs to, it's like got like a whole queue of things ready to just splur up. Um, I was like, well, maybe I should try to think about becoming bored. So I'll share a few quotes and then maybe we can go from there. Um, since this is something in Terrebank, I haven't talked to Stephanie about in detail either. So this is fresh for Stephanie as well. So I found a quote um, from the philosopher Bertrand Russell, who said that wars and persecutions have all been part of the flight from boredom, suggesting that like, in, like humans are, humanity is so desperate to avoid boredom, they will go so far as engage and start things like wars and violence and things, which I have, yeah, which there are a lot of psychological studies that people really hate to be bored because it's uncomfortable. It makes them feel panicky. I feel like it maybe it makes you face things about yourself. You don't want to really have to hear your true thoughts. So there's that quote. There's also the philosopher Jean, Jean-Paul Sartre, S-A-R-T-R-E, Sartre, Sartre. Sartre um, who said that with, without agency, you know, without the ability to have an effect on others, boredom ramps up. And so that's kind of the idea of like, yeah, you don't feel like you have much meaning, you know, if I'm not engaging with people and, you know, interacting with people, then, then boredom ensues, which is interesting, I thought. Um, and then the a third quote I'll just share for now, uh, the philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, who very much liked to see the world burn, I will say, um, quite a pessimist. <laughs> um he saw boredom as indicative of life's meaninglessness. So that, so he argued that if life truly had any real value, boredom wouldn't exist. Um, and so he said, what's more without manic occupation or distraction of things or consuming of goods, boredom lets all of the bad thoughts in. So another negative connotation there. So I can keep talking or if Stephanie have something. I'm not sure I agree with Sartre. That's the second one, right? Second one. Yeah. Without agency, the ability to have effect on others, boredom ramps up. I don't think that I necessarily care about making an impact on other people. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting to, yeah. You know, I think well. maybe perhaps it's more telling on the person who said it than everyone, you know, applying to everyone in general. Because um, I, I, I tend to find that I like to do things for me, right? Um, sometimes, sure, it, it feels nice to help people, but to me, that's very much a secondary <laughs> ancillary thing you know if I can inspire people by my crafts that's great if I can help talk people through their problems that's great too but like if a day goes by and I don't help someone solve their problem I'm perfectly at peace with that you know as well um as long as I think I'm helping myself in some capacity 
I agree. And I think boredom, this quote I also wasn't totally in alignment with, but it got me to thinking about the perception of boredom. Because oftentimes you don't really say that, I don't say like, I'm a boring person. You say that an external thing or an environment is causing you to be in a state of boredom. Right. So I thought that was, yeah, or like, you know, I can find another person boring. I can find another movie boring, but it's, I mean, I'm sure people will say it, but I don't think it's as common for someone to say, I'm boring. My, my father always told me like, you can't say so-and-so made you angry. You made yourself angry by letting yourself be engaged by this and that and the other. Exactly. So I think similarly, like, like you said, you know, in class or something, if you find some material unengaging, then you are able to, um, create your own entertainment or make something of your mind that engages you in turn um I think that's a great thing sometimes it's yes the switch is a little difficult to turn off you know when you want it to um I am very much in my head sometimes it's difficult for words to come to my mouth because I think I live so much in my head um in fact I was talking to HR about my different characteristics and qualities and they looked at the analysis breakdown report thing and they're like you 100% hardly ever get out of your head I was like yeah that's that's all right um so do I get bored sure you know um but I think I always try and find another train of thought to kind of like piggyback on to like hang on to that caboose see where it takes me sometimes it's a crazy little ride like um Willy Wonka's what's it called in the Gene Wilder film the little boat that they're on along the chocolate river like very like disturbing (laughs) crazy crazy rides sometimes I just want to get off oh Um, but sometimes just kind of hang on until it gets better um but I think you can work through the boredom I think it you might have to take a conscious effort through it you know some people do it by meditating and becoming very practiced at it I can't say I'm very good because every time I try to meditate I end up falling asleep but perhaps that is just a sign for me that I need some rest and I'm overworking myself so um then I wake up and somehow something in my brain has been restored and usually I have energy to go and do other things um or new ideas on how to proceed on something I was stuck on. So uh, I think someone said that boredom is sometimes a good thing. I I don't think it's good to perpetually be bored. I think it's good to like find things that can keep you mentally stimulated. I think boredom to continue off of that. And I, and I'm going to talk about the meditation thing in a bit, but I think boredom as a concept has kind of had a revival since COVID when people weren't able to do all the activities they're doing outside their house or something mm-hmm. and people were finding themselves bored mm-hmm. um and whether it was a good or a bad thing and also kind of was a leading to of like people always seeking stimulus of some kind using their phones or watching something or listening to something mm-hmm. and how boredom meaning a state of just like not having as much stimuli can actually be healthy let your mind like mm-hmm. settle down um there are some interesting more recent psychologists and philosophers, uh, philosophers of, um, I don't know why I was going with that 
psychologist. Yeah, he was just continuing the same. Anyways, um, that I think is kind of true in a way, perhaps social socioeconomically in that boredom a lot of times if you just don't have certain opportunities in life and you feel bored and less driven because there's like less hope to like achieve your dream job or your dream relationship or something it often leads to bad habits like gambling or drug use or violence um, to try to help just get your mind off of it. So like, you know, Stephanie was saying she's able oftentimes to come up with, like I said, you come up, your mind's able to come up with something, generate something that gets you interested in another thing, another train of thought, even if it is a little wonky. Um, But she's able to populate that. But in in certain cases, just social economics has proven, yeah, shown signs. Large large scale amounts of boredom can lead to um, necessity you know like that old adage um necessity is the mother of invention i feel like when i was growing up um i wasn't necessarily afforded all the luxuries my friends were like with game boys and um you know those video game consoles mm-hmm. um not that my family couldn't afford them it was just my parents didn't believe in the video game life world whatever you want to call it um and so as a result you know like my friends and i we'd always have to like come up with that Back in my day, we had to come up with our own games. <laughs> but in a sense, it, it kind of like helped us uh, grow and develop different school, skill sets in terms of um, being able to entertain ourselves with like well, yeah. silly imaginings. And, you know, as a result, I think I made, I have developed the, like a way to think outside the box and also um, consider a lot of perspectives because we have to do a lot of like role play with things and, you know, develop very full fleshed characters and um i thought that was kind of interesting sometimes people they're like you said they're overwhelmed with stimuli maybe they're just watching tv shows all day and so they don't have a chance to um they have a lot of input but in terms of outlets for the output um because there's so much stuff to take in all the shows maybe Mm -hmm. they feel less compelled to have to express themselves in a certain way maybe that's what twitter's for maybe i'm just tracking myself into a hole um into a corner but um that's my current perception but i realize it may be flawed well it kind of feeds into another point i want to make so there's a professor of philosophy at the university of bergen or bergen named yeah. lars svensson sure and lars wrote a book called the philosophy of boredom and the cover is like plain gray and <laughs> it's kind of funny yeah. um but he kind of made a few points I wonder what you said that boredom like an um a longer state of boredom can be due to a lack of imagination like you're saying Stephanie the lack of ability to kind of come up with your own games or things to think of Mm -hmm. um he also made an interesting point that I thought stood out to me um largely because of my Christian upbringing um that if you go back to the original seven deadly sins and there's the case there is a case that makes sloth being mistranslated that is actually closer to boredom. That's that seven deadly sin. Um, oh, instead of laziness, it's actually boredom. boredom. Yeah, like depending on how you interpret, I guess, the Latin of it. Um, and this was regarded as the worst of all sins because if you succumb to that, you succumb to all the other sins. Like I said, how certain other philosophers I mentioned earlier, they felt that it led to bad habits of like violence and you know drug use or whatnot 
Um, so I thought that was an interesting way of like kind of tying those two things together, like seven deadly sins and the sloth, or if you want to say boredom, deadly sin being a gateway to the, uh, to be exhibiting the others. Um, yeah. And he continues to say that boredom is not about working hard or not working hard. It's more about what meaning you find in what you're doing. And that's what I want to talk about. Cause I feel like back to my class, getting bored in class thing, like just because I was bored, that professor, that instructor, that might've been the most interesting thing to them, what they were talking about, but I just found it boring. And there is a thing it stopped. It was only for a few years ago called the boring conference. <laughs> that was oh, the dear. thing that was in this London. Is not, this is not headed by ELMS. No, but it's, yeah, it stopped. I think because of COVID, okay. but it was a conference and they've kept, they started in like 2017 or something. It's it 10 or so years ago. And I haven't I looked up to see if they had one recently and they haven't, but anyways, it was, it just consisted of people giving lectures on topics that were boring. And I guess, and there's a full on conference audience. And to me, it was interesting because yeah, like one lady was talking about how she collects like package slips or another lady was talking about like the very specifics of this traffic signaling pattern on this very specific intersection, her tiny Obviously town. it means something to them. Right. Like it's interesting to that, or maybe that they, they, they're, they did pick something that, that was boring to them, but the idea of them having to research to come up with a 30 minute conversation about it to me, sure. like you said, that would there may, therefore make it interesting to them because yeah. you put in all that effort to come up well, with a speech. I'd like to put forward um, our potato episode podcast, episode two to all you newbies out there. That's what I was thinking of as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think an absolutely iconic episode uh, forged 20 paths and uh, we learned what not to do. <laughs> but the topic, a conversation about uh-huh. oh, potatoes. I think one of the top episodes that we've had in our, in our oof of, of the entire, whatever, 55 episodes that we've recorded so far <laughs> yeah. definitely up there because it's also how you present the topic because right. yeah, can any because I, I was like you could make there's always a saying you could make any topic the most interesting thing if you just know how to present it mm-hmm. so there's also that component of how do you present something mm-hmm. um, so yeah figuring out this idea how i feel about boredom i think and how it's looks different and the different lenses you can take about i don't know if i'm going to read this book of philosophy of boredom but i might look into it um, can i can i add my two cents on philosophy a little bit so you have already but go ahead more yes add add more to it so uh back when michelle you and i were in college i think i made it very clear that philosophy was not in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. um, i was just extremely well bored of the topic because you cannot apply it to anything even though i think one of them the class i audited for philosophy was a lord of the rings like philosophy within lord of the rings mm-hmm. which we all know i deeply love but i could not keep my eyes open for that class and i felt really bad with the professor because i had begged to be in that class um, and he had very kind of let me but i can stay awake um but since leaving college i have like delved a little bit more into philosophy i'm not gonna say i'm an expert or anything but you know existential crises we've, we've talked quite a few about them um and i've been trying recently to learn the distinctions between like nihilism existentialism stoicism and absurdism 
I think. And I think nihilism is where some of our other episodes are at, like the meaninglessness of life, right? Um, what is the point? And I think existentialism is the part of saying like, sure, um, it's the opposite of nihilism where like it says life has no meaning. So existentialism is saying that you need to give life meaning, like you need to live it like, to the fullest, right? And absurdism is um, regardless of like, if life has meaning or not, just live it to the fullest because this whole premise that we're all living in is kind of crazy anyways. So just do what you want, essentially, right? So it's, I feel like um, the last two are very similar, but it's, it's more like the attitude that you take towards it. I guess they're all about attitudes, but um, it's very difficult to apply philosophy to real life, I still find. So it's frustrating. Um, but sometimes when you're caught up in those swirls, you're like, okay, so what can I do regardless of what lens I'm putting on today, whether it's like the rose color lens, the dark lens, or like the clear lens, um, what am I going to do about that? Like, mm-hmm. am I going to roll out of bed? Am I going to, you know, knit? Am I going to, I don't know, ride a motorbike? Am I just going to like contemplate and just live in the swirl of thoughts? Uh, what, what, what to do, you know? Um, and I think that's important to not rush into things at first. You know, gotta think about it. But also um, be conscious that your boredom may or may not be serving a purpose. And you'll be thinking about why you may be bored or what state is causing you. And, and that in itself, I think it's fun to think about the brain thinking about it itself, mm-hmm. which is psychology as well, I know, or neurology. Yeah. But yeah. More, more neuroscience uh-huh. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I, I've always liked philosophy my whole life as a kid because uh-huh. I uh-huh. felt like it helped expand certain feelings or thoughts that I had. And mm-hmm. I think it's just a wonderful, I just love the playground that it is of like looking at things differently mm-hmm. and having a, following the different paths of logic to support these things that I may like totally not agree with, but I'm going to be open-minded to like consider it and mm-hmm. especially it's to me, it's a premise of like, you find a book you love and you read it every five years and you go, oh, I feel differently about this now. Mm, or like, oh, and, yes. and that's why to me, philosophy is one of those perfect examples of that situation because you're always in a different head. Space. Yeah. And I annotate my books and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm reading it. It makes sense to me because it's English, but this is completely not how I feel. And I have yes. to say, I disagree personally. And then I'll read it five, five years later. And it really resonates. Yeah. Or I'm like, oh, I didn't even, I missed the whole point or something. Like, yeah. oh gosh. Um, it's like, uh, what's the, the proverb? Is it like a Chinese thing with like, you never step in the same river twice? Yeah. I feel like reading a book or like reading philosophy, it's very much like that. Yeah. So totally. Uh, and I definitely want to talk a bit about absurdism. In, uh, yeah. Can you help me explain it a bit more? A little I bit with some good grass. fun examples, but on the meditation point. So my train of thought with this boredom thing was thinking about sensory deprivation and how they have like those floating tanks, or I know there's a thing called dark therapy. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name. He's a, but it's different from solitary confinement. It's voluntary. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Cause like solitary confinement, well-known, like it's a torture treatment. It'll very punishing. There's elements that are like, get kind of (laughs) close. environment but it's voluntary and it's 
Tina's therapeutic. And, and so another- you're, you know how long that you're, yes. you're going to be in there for. So, you know, it's not going to be like indefinite. Yes. So I've, I can't remember this guy's name. I want to say Aaron Burr, but that's. No, that's. <laughs> That's Hamilton times. That's like 1700s. I am dying. It's Aaron something. Aaron Rodgers? Yes. Aaron Rodgers. Coming from the person who knows absolutely zilch. Just blanking on it. Sports. Blanking on it. Anyways. Is this guy was... what, a bowling player? No, he's baseball, isn't he? Football. Football. <laughs> See, I know nothing. Just time with the Jets. But anyways, he, he was in the news, I don't know, a month or so ago. And he's been kind of open with his journey with psychedelics like ayahuasca and deep meditation mm-hmm. over the past couple of years. And recently he completed um, dark room therapy where he was in a dark room for a few days or something. I might be not getting that correctly. Um, and I know there was a lady a couple weeks ago who came out of a cave that she was in for like a year or something um, by herself. But anyways, it's a dark therapy, you're in total darkness, you're just sitting in a room for a certain amount of time period, and it's seen to have benefits of like helping with psychological conditions. Um, because it's dark, you can also think about no light stimulus, no light stimulation days. Get your own days, it can help, you know, support if you need to reset your circadian rhythm because when it's dark, melatonin starts to be produced and stuff like that, and it can help restabilize or reset those and whatnot. There's also floating tanks where you're floating in a little, like a giant sarcophagus thing, basically. And it's water with a pretty high level of salt because it allows you to float without having to like, you know, try to swim to stay afloat. Mm. And the water's like kind of room temperature. And it's like, you can either have total darkness or like a low light. Um, but the history behind these, and they're, they're like common at like like medi spas you can at least in the states they're around here and um, they're decently common more now um but it was originally called this technology was called rest an acronym which stands for restricted environmental stimulation therapy and it was invented let's i don't know if i really feel comfortable saying invented because i, I can't imagine the idea of like floating in dark or sitting in darkness is like a totally novel thing from the 20th century. Sure. I think this intentional science maybe behind it, modern science was started. Um, the scientist named John Lilly, who is a neurophysiologist and he was is once- his name L I L Y. Like does he also just float around L I L L Y. Yeah. Like a lily pad. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Um, and so he, his hypothesis he wanted to test was to see, um, you know, does the brain need external stimulation to remain conscious? Because that was like philosophy coming into modern psychology. Because all these philosophy books, so yeah, if the brain doesn't have anything, then you'll like not, you won't die, but you'll just no longer be conscious. Mm-hmm. And so he tested that by doing, putting people in these environments where there was darkness or no stimulation, and they would, you know, put EEG electrodes on the head to observe the brain waves and frequency. An amplitude amount. You'd also do some imaging techniques with fMRI, and they found that it's quite the opposite. That actually being in a sensory deprived area, whether it was they had like dry tanks or wet tanks where you're in water just lying on the ground, they actually mm-hmm. allowed the brain to create an alternative consciousness, similar but not entirely that similar to like meditative state brain mm-hmm. states. Um, but it later kind of was similar to he got really hardcore into psychedelics like LSD stuff. 
Mm -hmm. Um, so he would say is kind of a a similar pattern to how you would be when you're on psychedelics and stuff. Mm. So this is like mid-century and, um, yeah, so you're kind of floating in this warm water and basically what happens is depending on your kind of baseline stress level, you first enter a period of like kind of panic and discomfort and anxiety because your brain's like, it's like searching for stuff. Trying to get some orientation. Trying to get something going on. And a lot of times people will claim hearing like random things like old songs or tunes. Um, And so, yeah, that's usually happens like in the first 30 minutes. So I've done these sessions before I've liked it, but depending on how stressed out I am, uh, it takes me a while to kind of like calm down a bit and I'll be like, I hate this. I want to get out. This is uncomfortable. This is stupid. Why am I like sitting here for an hour? Like, but I try to like fight past the, that, um, Earth. And then you, and you, or you maybe you're like, oh, I'm gonna try to keep track of time because I have an hour. Like, you know, you have an hour or an hour and a half. It's like counting sheep, counting sheep. But then you always like it always slips past you and stuff. So yeah, it's usually they they gauge about thirty minutes, and depending on how, but some, the more you do it, the quicker you can get to this state of like calm and relaxation. And so what happens is after these thirty minutes of whenever the areas of your brain that are usually overwhelmed with taking in sensory information, whether it's sight, sound taste and all that then the areas that are more focused about like attention problem solving memory emotion deep thinking those become more active so like for example there's and they test this like i said by doing like imaging studies with the put people in fmri machines um, to see look at brain activity in certain regions so they'll see kind of increased use of i think it's called like the fusiform gyrus inferior temporal and parahippocampal gyri, left posterior insula. That's like where attention is kind of coming from. Um, Things like memory or like the insula, which is, does a lot of different things, but also is involved with awareness. Um, And so, yeah, it's kind of interesting how if you, going back to this boredom state, you know, if you kind of fight through the boredom and just kind of let your brain do what it wants to do, do its thing, it'll come up you know, if you wait a while, like certain things like imagination and deep thinking or memory, those things will come to the surface. If you let yourself sit with that discomfort. I know, like, I haven't ever sat in one of those sensory deprivation tanks, but like when I swim, I generally swim like endurance distances, um, like a couple miles at a time. So Mm -hmm. Um, it, it gets quite tedious you know I'm in a pool I'm not like in a lake or something so I'm just doing endless amounts of flip turns you know yeah. um, every so often I'll change up the stroke but that's also on a regimented thing so it's not like I am altering you know like only 300 freestyle and the next exercise is 500 you know it's always the same workout mm. um, so it, it does get very tedious in that sense Um, So I have taken it upon myself to mentally go through um, a musical piece from start to finish. And I'm not talking like pop songs. No, like we're talking full full orchestrations of like symphonies or like the periodic table of elements song. You know, like you have to go through 118 elements um, or, or just something that's highly ridiculous and it takes a lot of concentration to do um, to, to focus on. Mm-hmm. And I find that that is a good way to channel my energies into, or sometimes I'll do like mental arithmetic, but yeah. not, not just like one plus ones. No, like we're, we're talking double or triple 
digit multiplications and sometimes that helps mm -hmm. um that's awesome the or like little math puzzles in my head yeah um, yeah because with the flotation tank so i mean so that's yeah I just have to give a perfect example of you can just do this anytime anywhere not when you're driving obviously but like you yeah. don't have to go out of your way to find a fancy sensory deprivation deprivation flotation tank to sit in for an hour there's moments or activities you might already be doing in terabank where you can actually like take a pause and say oh let me try this while i'm doing this or something if you're taking a breather in the bathroom or something from whatever stressful <laughs> thing you're doing and just be like yep five minutes of not thinking about whatever i was thinking about before yeah and then giving that bit of distance and then coming back yeah so refreshed for you and Terabang, maybe you're listening to this podcast right now to avoid boredom and being alone with your thoughts. Um, Sorry, but maybe on about it more. <laughs> but maybe just try it out a little bit. Just sit with this idea. Find moments throughout your week or the next couple of weeks where you're like, no, I'm just gonna be. I'm gonna enjoy the stillness, enjoy the silence, and, and sit through this and get through it and see what my brain comes up with on its own and kind of like work through those things. So switching topics a bit before we get into music, I wanted to circle back up again to something that Steffi said when she was talking about the different fields of philosophy she's been getting into, uh, one being absurdism. So I recently attended a pop-up exhibit where I live uh, that was featuring the work of the street artist Banksy. Mm. Who, um, not sure if you're familiar with interbing, but very sort of a he um and i forgot what his original name used to be um but it something to, had something to do with like robbing banks and it went to like short, shortened to banksy oh interesting. um so it went through several generations but he's from bristol in the uk city and he's kind of you know up and coming street artists in like the 70s 80s and a lot of his work so he's anonymous and the reason why he had a pop-up exhibit where I lived across the pond is he's anonymous and he's kind of known to put these works all around the world, mainly around in the UK, um, that are usually kind of anti-capitalism, anti-police, militarization, establishment, establishment yeah. things. And he'll kind of, the art itself will kind of consist of something that is ties to like absurdism, twisting things on its head a bit. Provoke um, discussion. Evoke discussion and he'll just do it in the like a typical street artist, like in you know, in the darkness of the night. And for whatever reason, it caught people's attention because I guess it was more instead of just maybe more commonly, it's just someone's tag tag name or something. It it's actually, not free-handed, it seems like it's more stenciled. It's, I think. Yeah, he uses like stencils to spray paint on, but it's like an actual like art piece to say or something. So Gain on attraction, this elusive figure um, where people really are putting a lot of value on his works and a lot of attention. I'm sure at this point, his identity has to be known by some of like the main museum curators <laughs> or something because he's been featured at like the Met and stuff, truly. And like, I don't know how they verify something is, you know, quote unquote, a real bank. Scene. Exactly. The authentic authentication process is confusing. And there was a famous story. 2018 okay i think it was the shredding one Maybe, uh yeah i think 2013 or something. anyways i thought it happened during covid 
okay yeah 2018 uh, past couple years there was a piece of his that he it was a a, a print of a famous one of his pieces that was already featured on a wall years prior of like a, a girl uh, of a, a girl balloon. holding a bal- releasing a balloon that was red in the shape of a heart mm. little girl and it was framed and it was during the auction at Sotheby's like very famous auction house and once it was declared that it was sold for millions of dollars or something absurd uh, amounts of money there was a mechanism in a secret mechanism in the, within the frame very much like Thomas Crown affair <laughs> like mechanism within the frame that started at and then instigated the the print to go down and, and be shredded like a paper shredder like a paper shredder was built into the bottom of the frame and it's like this oh my gosh this is controversy and then it became in that moment a whole other level of art kind of thing and well it, so i believe the shredder jammed and that was apparently unintentional okay. but the portion that was shredded um it became a whole nother piece of art. And I exactly. believe the the person who had, or the individual group, whoever had bought it, they ended up reselling it for an even higher value, yes. Yes. which defeated the whole point whole of yeah. what I believe the original intention was supposed to be, which was that art is disposable or, you know, like yeah. it, it, the money doesn't really matter or the material doesn't really matter it's like the idea or you know like i'm sure you could assign some kind of profound meaning to it or like the very lack of the art is in itself the profound meaning exactly like, um there's a multiple ways to interpret this so yeah i went to this exhibit it felt even weird to pay money to go see this exhibit where right. um they were prints some original prints dozens of Banksy's featured work and descriptions of them but I mm. guess it was nice because it taught me more about Banksy sure because I'm not good at necessarily it was travel. informative it's right. informative um and it but, consolidated you know the pieces as opposed to you having to travel travel around to- the UK and make a pilgrimage to each of his sites mm, and yeah. you know like having someone give you a personal tour reading it but equally you could have read them all on Wikipedia or something I'm sure yeah but I did learn a few things okay like for instance he did this fun experiment uh, several years ago where he created an amusement park called Dismaland um, that was a spin on Disneyland okay and it's an actual physical park in Bristol and it was an abandoned area but it was the site of a former amusement park where he went to as a child and so he called it a demusement park <laughs> and it was just very it was open for just for five weeks and um open to the public and it was like had like a dilapidated looking disney disney castle like it was just very like all the employees were like intentionally very grumpy and disgruntled and sad and like they had instead of like the princess carriage it showed like a princess carriage like upturned with like paparazzi taking photos of cinderella Hmm. falling out of the carriage or the on the bumper cars were like skeletons and grim reapers like being thrashed around and like it's a satirical take satirical on disneyland um, sure and things like that so there has been some like physical things like one thing i thought was interesting was the wall um kind of separates like israel and, and and palestine there's like a huge wall built and banksy felt um against this wall being built and Israel being occupied 
very like you know political topic there but what's interesting is when this wall was built you know that caused like the view from all those like there's like hotels nearby and like their view was done away with and like business was hurting so um there's a hotel branch called the waldorf waldorf astoria that was one of these cases and banksy and a few other of his buds artist um did some art on the side of the wall and now it's like very famous for people who come to stay at the hotel to stare at the wall that has Banksy art on it mm-hmm. um and also to bring about the discussion of you know getting people to think about how they feel about this wall and that whole um political situation so I learned a few things like that I also had forgotten about the history of the peace symbol sign I just wanted to share just off the topic trivia uh, <laughs> oh we love those yeah because I didn't like I knew this, but I forgot it. How... So we're talking like the upside down Y, and then there's another line. Yeah, and then it's like surrounded it's, by a circle. It's a CND symbol. It's as it's what? It, yeah. It's it stands for. It is again ties to the history of like street art. So it's the logo for the campaign for nuclear disarmament in Britain in like the fifties. Um, What's the C C C N D C campaign? for nuclear disarmament D. Okay, so it was created by a street graphic artist named gerald holton okay he invented it in the late 50s on behalf of the british official british campaign okay. for nuclear disarmament um and so he originally was going to use like a christian cross symbol with a circle but instead he decided to go with there's the alphabet of uh, the flag semaphore alphabet like you know whenever like that was really popular on like ships people hold flags and like depending on your arm position that means a different letter or a number sure um so it's mainly or like in- the, the air traffic control people exactly so it mainly used for like um communication that way so he utilized that so he superimposed the letter n for nuclear and the letter d and put them on a circle that symbolized earth mm. so there's not really a c in there but it's mainly for the n and the d so is um, N like the two arms downwards down. that sort yeah. of and like... And then D is a straight line up. Uh, up and down. Okay. Vertical line up. Okay. Um, so I thought that was... I like forgot that that So was... he's circling nuclear disarmament as opposed to... But the circle's supposed to be out. Earth, he said. Okay. So I mean, okay, side whatever. note there, but like that's an example to me of, you know, because sometimes I feel like street art graffiti, you see it and you're like, Okay, maybe you take it for his literal literal sense, but over time it can become a symbol for something right. huge that you don't even remember the origin of, but it's just a movement. So like now people see that as the peace sign, mm-hmm. world peace sign or something, but it started as- I love it when you have like symbols that um, people kind of take for granted, but don't really um, think about the origin of. Yeah. It's always good. Yeah. So I just wanted to like bring that trivia up again. Um, but getting into music, I know it's been a up and down, left and right episode. Um, so thank you, Terving Stephanie, for like tagging along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but being at this exhibit last night and thinking of street artists in Bristol <laughs> reminded me of how um, musicians from one of my favorite bands, Massive Attack, are also like peers of Banksy and mm. um, being from Bristol in the late 80s. So so Massive Attack is like it's an English, is a trio trip hop group. So trip hop being a genre of music that's a bit more down tempo. It kind of 
influence and has samples of like 70s funk and cool jazz. Um, so it was started by Robert, quote unquote, nicknamed 3D Del Naha, um, Adrian, quote unquote, Tricky Thaws, and Andrew Mushroom Vowels, and Grant Daddy G Marshall. And um, wow, yeah. what names. Amazing. Yeah. Well, it's like how Banksy has, you know, a full name, but like quote unquote Banksy yeah, and the middle of like nickname. Street so, artist so it's name. 3D, Tricky, Mushroom, and Daddy G. And um, I found this music like during my angsty time period uh, sure. in mid high school and really tapped into, I guess that was some people have like a grunge heavy metal phase, but this was that for me. And I still enjoy mm. listening to it when I'm just mm-hmm. feeling a little bit darker, chaotic, moody, yeah. moody and you know, similar and has that grittiness that street art has of just, you know, saying no to the system, no to the big man. Um, I don't know. It just evokes that sense. So um, I have a few songs of theirs I wanted to go through. In Terrabang, you might recognize some. I'll say because they've been featured in things that are definitely about like saying no anti the system kind of thing. Um, So the first is Paradise Circus. And I love listening to this song on depressing rainy days. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, but on like cold rainy days, it's I'll just like got go, a good dark mood to it, I guess. I'll go out walking and I'll get soaked in the cold rain. I don't okay. get it cold somehow, but Paradise Circus has this like emptiness, hmm. but and a despairing piano and vocalist on that track, which I like. Hmm. Um, the second song is Teardrop which I, ah, think is, I know this one yeah yeah i think it's one of their more famous songs it's, it is the house theme song from hugh laurie's house yeah house md, house MD. the opening sequence is teardrop i think it's been a few other scenes in other tv series but i think that's what? like the most famous yes one um and that's just the instrumental part but the it's also lyrics to it and yeah um really cool mixing um and, and instrumental sure breakdown the next one is angel by massive attack oh, sorry always a massive attack angel really good bass and slow moving and you can definitely see how nine inch nails would have been influenced by this mm. group because mm-hmm. it really like the slow build strong bass kind of haunting peculiar uh female vocals the next is Dissolved Girl. And I think this is one of my, I mean, the house MD um, opening Song. sequence is, is yeah. great because, you know, that character of house is very much of like turning things on its head and, sure. and, and you know, questioning and being really kind of absurd, um, but like oftentimes right or always right. I My favorite feature of Massive Attack would have to be Dissolved Girl because yeah. in the first Matrix, when you first see neo the character you know, uh-huh. he's asleep at his computer uh-huh. um he's listening on his headphones to dissolved girl oh i never clocked that okay and i love that because nice. they wanted to feature massive attack in the film um, right. in some way and they did that and i thought it was perfect to kind of indicate why he's already kind of chosen because he's already because massive attack is about the culture of their music is about questioning the system, the big, the system and things yeah. and the fact that neo is a fan of listening to their music that kind of music sure could suggest that he's primed to be more aware of things. Yeah. And I think it's just it's such a beautiful, subtle interaction to the character that was like nonverbal hmm. um, to, to see that. Interesting, um, interesting. Uh, I also like 
babble and they still come out with music still um but these are some of their older songs i guess i became acquainted with more on um their heglio land album babble's a bit more fast-paced bit nice fast-paced percussion which is cool um some of their newer music videos are fun to to feature um famous female actresses and i call fantastic female rage and unraveling (laughs) Sure. Um, like Rosamund Pike or Kate Blanchett have done phenomenal oh. performance art pieces oh, in their nice. music videos, which is cool. Um, and then Unfinished Sympathy is just quite famous. It kind of came out in the early 90s and it's a take on Schultz, Schultz? Um, Unfinished Symphony. Um, but it's like Unfinished Sympathy and it came out during like the Gulf War. So it's mm. kind of a political statement really powerful lyrics psyche and the flash treatment mix is wild to me definitely headphones it sounds like the most perfect example of like bubbling in like like a good way or like yeah there's too many things to think about so you're just bubbling with emotion and the way they entirely sure how the way they warp the sound it sounds so trippy okay and and again, is it it like, like coming in in your, your left ear and then on the right ear and it's sometimes something, a bit of overlap. But then it still has an uneasy background noise okay. and like that okay. haunting female vocalist. Interesting, okay. And then there's a few songs by Tricky, which was weird because I, so I found, par- I found Massive Attack like mid-high school. Then five years later or so, independently while at university, I came across Tricky. And I was like, I love this because he has this incredible deep voice this is the tricky front of massive attack. and then i just yeah it took me forever to realize oh it's from this is from massive attack tricky oh, from massive no attack. Wonder. okay but kind of like in certain groups you don't like you know like have daft punk like they you don't register punk. their individual styles yeah and then they do their own thing them. and you're yeah, like yeah. oh yeah oh oh yeah harry styles in one direction uh-huh uh-huh i hear you Oh, you think that like for me, One Direction is obvious because you always learn their names like all the time. No, I'm saying like the type of music that they are generating, you know, like the One Direction, they very much have like a sound that is partially them, but I think oh, more okay. to do with the producers that, you know, are, but then once they are in their solo careers, they can make the sounds that they more or less align Well, I was thinking how it's kind of similar them. and it makes sense as to why you like both of them. Like I like Tricky's music a lot. And I was like, oh, that makes sense that Tricky's from Massive oh, Attack. Certain elements, I yeah. think you can see them filter through, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. retrospectively. So from Tricky, I really like parentheses. Yeah. A lot. Great guitar breakdown. Um, Does it is great. And also features a female vocalist. And mm-hmm. Hells are on the so the next couple are my fun like michelle found like a string of things that are sampled similarly mm-hmm. as we often do on these music lists mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but very different not very different but quite different artists so tricky came out with a song called hells around the corner and it has this all of these songs are the same instrumental sampling um the next is glory box which i think is the most famous by all of this group here and that's by a group called portis head which I learned years ago is also like from Bristol, same music genre, same time period. Same time period. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. So contemporaries. Contemporaries. Yeah. Portishead and Massive Attack. Interesting. Yeah. Bristol. 
something magical in the water over there. Yeah, John Cleese as well. Um, <laughs> a few, there's a few. There's a few. My I'm parkour sure, lads. Quite a few of them are from Bristol. I'm sure if you zoom out any city, you'd find like there's bound to be someone quite famous. But sure. this one to me was like, what a scene though. Like the scene yeah. there must have been really intense for to Absolutely. sprout out this street artist trip hop music scene stuff sure 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 so it's glory box by portis head here by alessia cara which i feel really was like one of her debut platinum singles that like really... made her put yeah. her on the charts i think yeah mm-hmm. but all of this comes from um isaac hayes ike's rap 2 is the original track original oh music. interesting okay. and isaac hayes you might know i gotta give a shout out to my dad who got me into Isaac Hayes because he did the speaking of opening sequence, Isaac Hayes did the opening song for the, the show Shaft of like the smooth, cool oh yeah, yeah detective yeah. guy walking yes. down. So that cool funk 70s beat. Yes, I love there. that. So that's, that's Isaac Hayes. Uh, nice. Of the, of Shaft. So yeah, that's the music. It's just what I've been going through. Yeah. Um trip hop, it's a little bit grittier kind of stuff maybe slower. i like the moodiness yeah moodiness kind of smooth but smooth jazz and mm-hmm. smooth funk influence with that but i guess when you're listening to it maybe think about the people behind it and maybe think about talking about with like the banksy stuff or like street artist scene and what your thoughts are about the idea of graffiti and street art and its significance and its impacts and um, and let us know if you're walking down the street anytime soon um <laughs> versus like, you, is that, it's and, like you're, a, and you're listening to this oh okay um like are has your perspective sort of shifted and changed regarding you know boredom like you know usually when you're walking down the street you're not necessarily thinking of anything in particular except perhaps the destination you're trying to get to or the time that it is but like has this conversation helped you think about other things or like have you sometimes when i walk down the street and i listen to a certain song I become that mood um, just for the kicks, you know, for the few minutes. So have you become the massive attack sort of mood um, when you're walking down the streets, like you're kind of a little sultry, a little bit moody, a little bit um, squinting at you want to tear it up. What's in front of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let us know. We're curious. Yeah. Stay safe, please. Yes. We're not, we're not encouraging any take care anarchy <laughs> no um just just uh mental experiment and it just stays in the confines of your brain as jack black said in the movie school of rock you know stick it to the man yeah yeah but safely <laughs> take care and bye